comfort, Lord. You want to encourage, you want to challenge, God, uh, our hearts, Lord. So I pray that today, Lord, our, our hearts and minds would be settled before you, Lord, that they'd be still, that we'd be able to hear your voice, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, God, uh, and, and the life that's in there, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 20, David is on the run. He's still on the run. He's fleeing, fleeing, fleeing. Chapter 19, David flees from Saul's presence from his court as Saul wings an arrow at him. Saul uh, sends men to David's house, and, and David has to flee his wife and his home. And then we see Saul, uh, David fleeing to Samuel right at the end of the chapter, and Naoth. And, and he is afraid. He's afraid for his life. He goes to Samuel for answers. He wants to know what in the world is going on. Why is this happening, right? So he goes to talk to him, and, and then Saul shows up there too. And, and so David flees. In verse 1, it says, David fled from Naoth in Ramah, and he went to Jonathan. So he goes back to the last friend he has. And he says, what have I done? What's my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So he's doing some soul searching here. Now he's asking, hey, Jonathan, what do you see? What have I done? What's my sin? What have I, what, what, what's going on? And sometimes when you look for things, and you guys pr probably know this, I have stuff all over the place. And when you go to look for something that you're missing, you find other things that you forgot you had or that you were looking for last week or two weeks ago or two months ago, like, oh my goodness, let's put this in the right spot so I can find it again. And, and so that's what David's doing. He's doing some soul searching here. And I think David finds some things in his heart, and we're going to see some other things in his heart that maybe weren't necessarily there to begin with, but that God is churning up in his life. There's, there's a more examination that we need right? God is examining our heart. That's David's prayer. In Psalm 139, I've mentioned it before, you know, David's praise. He says, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know all my ways. You know when I lay down, you know when I get up, you know everything I do. You know the good, the bad, the ugly. You created me. Your thoughts towards me are more than the sands of the sea. You know everything about me. And then he says, Lord, search my heart. Lord, know my thoughts. Not just my heart, my thoughts. Those two things are attached. He says, and, and, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, be my shepherd. Shepherd over my thoughts and my heart because sometimes we don't know them. And as we're searching, as we're looking for one thing, David is going to discover, I think, something else here. Um, and, and, but he's soul searching, right? And it should be a perennial request of ours. Lord, search our hearts. What's going on? And he says, what have I done? What's my iniquity? What's my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And David isn't just wondering what he's done. He's wondering why this is happening, right? Don't you wonder why sometimes? Like, why is this happening? Lord, I didn't sign it. You know, and David, you know, thinking back, you know, at Samuel anointing him, wow, this is great. I'll be the next king. This is amazing. 
kills Goliath. Oh my goodness, wow, what a victory. Saul takes him into his, into his court, not just as the, the worship leader, now he's a captain. Man, this is amazing. God, I see your hand all over this. This is wonderful. Everyone loves David. David is, you know, Saul's slain his thousands. David is slain his ten thousands. There's, you know, a top 40 hit that's being played all over the place. And, and David now is like, what is happening? Why is this happening? Why is Saul seeking my life, God? You've anointed me. This isn't what I expected. This isn't what I planned. And, and for you and I, we can read 1 Samuel. We can read 2 Samuel. David doesn't have that luxury to read 1 and 2 Samuel. He's living it. He's living his life like walking through these hard things. Lord, what do I do? And that's what Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, that, that the things were, that were written before... Paul encourages the Romans. The things that were written before are written for our learning, that we should learn. That's why you need to be in the Bible. That's why I need to be in the Bible. More than just a book, a good, we need to learn. We need to learn and see what God says, to see what the people of God have done in the past, how God used them, how God moved in their life. It's written for our learning that we, through the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Like, you want hope in your life? Are you missing hope? Get in the Word of God. David can't read this, but he does have scriptures. He knows the Bible. He knows the Torah. He knows the Old Testament scriptures that were written uh, by Moses up to that point, and he has encouragement. But he's wondering, why? Right? We wonder why. When I ask my kids to do things, they wonder why. Why do I got to do that? Why? Right? You tell your kids to do things. Why? That's the question. Why? Right? Unbelievers, people who don't know the Lord, why? That's a huge question. Why did, why did bad things happen to good people? You know, that's, that's a question people have. Christians can have that question. Why does that happen? What happened? Why is like the universal question when we go through things in our life. Why? Why is that happening? And sometimes we don't have the answers right away, right? Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. You guys know this probably. Sure. When David's asking Jonathan that question, he's not saying, what's Saul's problem? You know, he's saying, what's, Saul does have his problems. He's saying, what's my problem? What have I done? What's going on in here for me? Mark chapter 4, verse 35. You guys are probably familiar with this story, especially if you've gone through difficult things. It can be a go-to scripture. It says, on the same day, when evening was come, he said, to, why does it always have to be dark when storms come? Evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. That's the lake. <laughs> That's the Sea of Galilee. Let's get on a boat at night. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Jesus, why don't you jump in here too? 
We might need you. And the other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, and here's the, the question, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Didn't I say we're going to cross over? Am I not in the boat with you? Right? But we can be so fearful. Like, Lord, what is happening? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Right? And the questions run through our minds. And maybe you're going through something now that your boat's filling up with water. Like, Lord, did I miss something? Did I not hear you? And you're waking the Lord up. Like, Lord, don't you care? Right? And David is probably thinking that. Lord, don't you care what I'm going through? Right? And you, you, you've asked that same question before. Lord, do you care what's happening? Do you, do you see what's happening? Do you know? And Jesus would say, hey, where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? I'm right here in the boat. Yeah, I did ask you to cross. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Doesn't mean the, 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 the sailing is always going to be easy. It can get hard. Life can, be, can, can throw curveballs, but, but God wants to take this word right here, the Bible, and get it from here and put it in here. And sometimes it takes difficulties in your life to do that. We can cruise through life and think, man, I got this. And then hard things come, and then it's like, where's my Bible? And you're wiping the dust off of it. Like, what, what version am I reading now, Right? Is it King James? Is this new? Sometimes trials do that for believers, for Christians. People can become lax in their walk. And trials stir things up, difficulties. Even for people who are walking close, they're learning something about Jesus as they cross the lake. They're learning that they can trust him no matter what the storm looks like. They're learning Jesus is teaching them more about himself. You can trust me in the storm. You can trust me when things get hard. Yeah, you heard me correctly. We're going across and we're going to make it. So David, that's where he's at. Like, Lord, did I miss something? Was that the wrong? Did, did Samuel get the wrong guy? Did he anoint? Maybe it was my other brother. Let's get those guys back in here and see if it was them. Because this does not look the way I pictured Right? What have I done? Anxiety can be a, a, something that cripples us. It can cripple us, right? Worry, anxiety, fear. David would, would teach Solomon, and Solomon would record it in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. What's that mean to acknowledge the Lord? How do you acknowledge him? Like, yeah, I know you're over there. You're in the front of the boat. To acknowledge the Lord means to learn about him, to actually know him, to learn about him. Jesus said to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn who I am. 
you're going to learn to trust me if you know who I am, right? That's what kids do with their mom or dad. They, they get to know them, right? They, that's why the fears go away. Man, dad's here. Right? I'm afraid to walk through the woods, up, oh, but dad's coming so we can walk through the woods. I'm afraid to go here. I'm afraid at night, right? Anybody ever afraid at night? Probably maybe some adults still afraid at night. Kids, I remember being afraid at night. Man, but if someone was around, there's an adult, right? And that's what Jesus is teaching these guys. If I'm here and he says he'll never leave you or forsake you, you can trust me. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to go with you. And that's what he's, he's learning. He's teaching David because David is going places and doing things he's never done before. David is going to be something he's never been before. He's been a shepherd. He's killed a lion and a bear. He killed Goliath, but he's going to be king. And God, this is training ground for his life. This is his seminary. So he's like, Jonathan, what have I done? What's my iniquity? What's my twisted nature? What's my sin before your father? Why is he seeking my life? And Jonathan says to him in verse 2, by no means, you're not going to die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It's not so. So Jonathan, I love Jonathan's, right? You've got to love Jonathan. He's the guy who's a peacemaker, He's the guy that comes in and brings two people together and says, hey, this is going to be okay. He's the guy that, you know, Titus says, uh, you know, that, that people uh, are pure in heart, right? Guys that are pure in heart, that, that when, when you're pure in heart, then everything is pure. Like you don't see wrong in people. Sometimes we meet someone and our guard's up. Who is that who is that guy? Who is that girl? Who is, you know, what, what's, their, what's their angle? What are they looking for? What are they, and, you, and you can look at people like, Jonathan's not that way. Jonathan is so welcoming. He doesn't see that in his father. He doesn't see that his dad is like whipping spears at David. He's about to get a spear whipped at him. He doesn't see that. But you got to love people like Jonathan because they're enjoyable to be around. It's not negative all the time. They're pointing out flaws in this person and that person, and you should do that. And Jonathan is just that guy. Listen, David, no, I don't think so, right? He, He doesn't throw gas on a fire. He throws water on the fire, and he calms the situation, and he comes in, and, and just a great guy. He's encouraging. He sees the best in people. And he tries to encourage David. No, that's not true. But David takes an oath. Verse 3, he swears, Listen, your father certainly knows that I found favor in your eyes. And he said, Don't let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. What? Is that even possible? Like, Jonathan is right by his side. But yeah, Jonathan doesn't know what what Saul's trying to do. Lest he be grieved. And then he says, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. He's looking back on his life. He sees his life and he says, listen, I'm a step away. One wrong step, one wrong move, it's over for me. And that's really been his life and it's been our life, right? You can look back on David's life and say, man, he was a step away when he was a shepherd, when he 
fought Goliath, when he fought the Philistines, when he had to go out and, and get the foreskin of Philistines, right, to, to marry Saul's daughter. He's a step away from death at any moment. And, and look back on your own life and God's protective hand on your life. And I thought even before I was saved, I was a knucklehead. And God protected me over and over and over again protected other people from me too, right? And God's protective hand is on your life. God is preserving David. He's like, I'm a step away. Yeah, David, but God's hand's on you. We're all a step away. That's the reality. Hebrew says, you know, it's, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Then you're going to stand and give an account of your life. It's a point. Everyone here is going to die, and we don't, have, we, we, we don't lack examples of people that have left this earth long before we ever thought they would. Friends and family, people who have passed away that, that, that are gone. So the reality is, is you never know what a day brings, the Bible says. We're all a step away. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Are we ready? It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Then you'll give an account. God is going to take record of your life. He's going to look at your life and say, what happened? And here's the one thing you're going to be judged according to. What did you do with Jesus? Are you born again? Are you saved? Right? If you're not saved, then all your wrongs, you know, the books are going to be open, it says in Revelation, and the whole record of your life is, is there in a multi-volume book. Every little thing you've done, the things your parents don't know you did, things people don't know, your friends, your wife, your husband, it's there recorded. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, that's what you're going to be judged according to. But if you know Jesus Christ, that, all your flaws and failures, your name is recorded in another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And now you have eternal life. And all your sins are washed away. They're cast into the depths of the sea. And, and, and the Bible says that he chooses to remember them no more. Right? And he's not going to remember your sins anymore. And I got saved when I was 23. And I was stacking up a pretty good count. And I still am. Right? Because we're all sinners. We still make mistakes. Before I knew the Lord, I was really on a run. But we're, he says, I'm one step. There's one step between me and death. You never know what a day's going to bring. We're a step away. And Jonathan said, said to David, whatever you yourself desire, that's what I'll do. Tell me what you want to do. What, how can I help? Jonathan's there for David. What, what, what do you want me to do, David? I'm on your side. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow's the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I might hide in the field until the third day at evening. Tomorrow, uh, there's a staff meeting. There's a, there's a feast, a festival that we're required to be at. But I'm going to stay in the field here for three days. And if your father, verse 6, misses me at all, 
then say, and, and here's the problem that some of that searching that David's doing. David earnest say, he says, say this, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the, his family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But he, if he's very angry, be sure that evil is determined against me. I think what David is saying is, let's lie. I got a lie right now. I got a great one. This is a good one. It's for a good reason, a good purpose. Just tell him, I'm going to be in the field, but you tell him I had to run home. Just in case he goes there, he's done that before. He's come and looked for me where I was. He sent men to my house. But I'll be in the field here. Right? So now David begins to lie. Right? And the Bible's not condoning it, but merely stating the fact that that's what's happening. And, and the Bible is full of our human flaws, right? That's how we can relate to people. That's how we can relate to men like David and Saul and Jonathan and, and, and Jacob, right? We relate to people mostly based on error, right? Man, Lord, I'm not the only one does that. I'm not the only one that's pulled that move. I'm not the only one that's made that mistake. So he decides to lie. Let's lie. And he's missing God's hand of protection there, right? That's what Jacob did. I think I've mentioned that before. Jacob, you know, uh, uh, is promised the blessing, the birthright, you know. And what does he do? He does it himself. He says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, trick my dad to get the blessing, whatever. And Jacob pulls a move on his father, puts skin on his arm, goat's hair, and goes in there, maybe changes his voice a little, pretends like he, he's his brother uh, to, to go in and get the blessing from him. And he tricks him, and it works. But then Esau wants to kill him. That was like the final straw. Already, you know, for a, for a bowl of soup, you tricked me out of, out of the birthright, but now the blessing that was due me, now I'm going to kill you, Jacob. And Jacob has to run to Uncle Laban's, and he's got to learn a hard lesson there for 20-plus years, right? And, and we'll never know. We'll never be able to turn in the Bible, wow, how did God do that with Jacob? You know, the, the, the lesser is going to serve over the greater. The greater is going to serve the lesser, like Jacob and Esau. Esau is going to serve Jacob. How is that ever going to happen? You're not going to be able to turn there in your Bible and say that God did some amazing, miraculous thing because Jacob did it. Jacob pulled a move, right? And I think it's there for, for people that have that Jacob in them, for us, for me that we can, we can try to control circumstances or, or different things and you, and you lack trust and faith. And that's what David's doing. He's like, ah, Lord, I'm going to have to lie here. Have to, Jonathan, we have to lie and, and do this thing. And he didn't have to. God was going to do something else to protect David. There they could have done anything. He could have actually went to Bethlehem, right? But he, he wants to stay in the field. He's afraid. We miss out. We're never going to be able to turn to get that encouragement, the Red Sea moment, the manna moment, the times that God moved and worked. 
So he, he says, let's lie. And, and, you know, the results for David work out. We're going to see at the end of the chapter here, they work out. God, God protects him, uses this whole thing, and, and it works out for David. But it doesn't mean that this, that line doesn't get a hook in David's heart, because it does. As you know, in the next chapter, he's going to go to Nob, to the priest there, and he's going to lie to the priest. Ah, the king sent me on a, on a mission. It's very, it was very fast, and, and I'm not supposed to tell anyone, but do you have any food here? And then he goes to Gath, and he lies to the people there, pretends like he's crazy. So now that hook is in his heart where he's lying. He's going to start begin lying. And ultimately, you know, there's going to come a time in his life where it's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt other people. Lying. He doesn't have the testimony of Daniel where, hey, you can't pray. There's a law. 30 days, you can't pray. And Daniel, what does he do? Opens his window and prays. He doesn't care if anyone sees him. And now we can look back at Daniel's testimony and say, oh my goodness, Lord, I can do that at work. You know, they're, they're threatening me on the job. I can't pray. I can't read my Bible at lunch. I can't do this. Daniel did that. And God blessed him and, and closed the mouth of those lions, right? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the testimony we have with those guys. Bow to the statue, the gold image, as soon as the music plays. And these guys are like, nope, I'm not going to do it. We have those testimonies. Jacob doesn't have that testimony. Jacob snuck his way in there through lying, deceiving. David begins to do that. Don't let that get into your heart where you think that's my only option. The only thing I can do is lie. This is, this is terrible what I have to do. It may not be your only choice. If you're Corey Tenboom in a Nazi prison camp, maybe. But David doesn't have to lie here. And he's, and he's pulling Jonathan in with it. And, and therefore, verse 8, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? Listen, if you see something, just kill me. Tell me. Shoot the arrow at Shoot the, shoot the uh, spirit me yourself. And some, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes we need those spears. Like, hit me, wound me, tell me what's wrong. Be honest. Somebody, it's his best friend. And Jonathan said, be it far from you, for I knew, know certainly that if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, wouldn't I tell you? I'd tell you that, David. And David said to Jonathan, well, who will tell me? Nobody else has told me. I'm, I'm just dodging spears here. Or what if your father answers roughly? What, then what? Like all these questions. David is so fearful. And Jonathan says to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field, probably the same field where they went in the last chapter and, and, da and David hid while Jonathan was talking to his father and, and saying, hey, dad, what, what did David do? What's going on? And David could overhear him say, Saul say, all right, I won't kill him. You're right. That was wrong. I won't do that. Probably the same field. Probably Jonathan trying to remind him, hey, remember when we were here last time? What my dad said? And Jonathan says to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is, a, there is good toward David, and I, and I do not send it to you, 
and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I might not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So he's encouraging them and reminding them of this covenant he has. Listen, I want you to show me kindness and my descendants. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemy. And Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow's the new moon, and you'll be missed, because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed, and remain by the stone Ezel. And then will I shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there will I send a lad saying, go and find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there's safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And for the manner for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between me and you, or you and me forever. So there's the plan. Here's the arrows are coming, right? And, and he stays by this stone easel. That word means the stone of departure. It's, it's literally the stone that shapes or shows the way. It's the stone of destiny for David. He has to stay by that rock, right? And, and Jonathan says, that's the rock you have to stay by right? And for us, that rock is Jesus Christ. You don't have the answers. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go, where to turn. The, the, like, this situation is too much for me. That's where you need to stay, by that rock, the rock of your destiny, the one that's going to show the way, right? It's the direction for your life and for my life. So the whole issue is out of David's control, right? He can't control any part of it now. He just, all right, I'm going to stay by this stone. All you can do is control your response. And for you and I, that's a lot of what we have to go through in this life. It's like, what's your response? David had, you know, his, his brother shamed him, questioned him for coming to, to, to see the battle, see when Goliath was out in the field. Saul did the same thing. David couldn't do anything about that. All David could do is respond. What's your response when somebody says something to you? Or is it immediately like, let's get in the flesh. Let's retaliate. Let's get them back, right? What's your response? How do we respond to what the world throws at us, what people throw at us, what a situation throws at us? And so he, he, he can only wait at that rock. And David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. And when the king sat at his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place, David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. So there's a couple ways you can become unclean. Uh, one of them is by being in war and touching a dead body. So he didn't know, 
where exactly David was, but he was assuming that's maybe what happened. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is the son of Jesse not come here, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, and here's the, here's the lie again. David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I found favor in your eyes, please let me go away to see my brothers. Therefore he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to, and he said to him, and this isn't good in the Hebrew, uh, you son of a perverse rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to be to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. He's saying, you're no son of mine. You're the son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Don't I know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? You're not my son. You're not acting like me. And that was a good thing for Jonathan. That was a good thing. Saul wants to kill David, and now Jonathan defends David. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be killed, and what has he done? Like, that's a great question. Why should he be killed, and what has he done? You need to think about that. Why should he be killed, and what has he done? And, and Saul, instead of thinking about that, grabs that spear again, and he cast it to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So, all right. Now Jonathan knows, all right, you're right, David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. That's the problem when we don't deal with anger, sin, uh, you know, unrepentance, bitterness, unforgiveness, when you don't deal with that in your heart, you're going to start to hurt people that you love and that love you. It just is going to come out in your life. It's, it's without a doubt you're going to begin to hurt people around you, people that you love and care about. And that's what Saul's doing here. Because of his unwillingness <clears throat> to deal with his own heart, He's trying to kill Jonathan. In verse 35, it says, So it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, <clears throat> and a little lad was with him. And he said to the lad, Now run and find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, <clears throat> is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, don't delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad didn't know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. So David is watching. He's waiting for his friend. He maybe can see him knocking an arrow, getting ready to shoot it. And he knows Jonathan is good with a bow. 
And he shoots the arrow, and it goes beyond. And David is praying, oh, Lord, probably praying those three days, Lord, please let this work. I pray that, that, that Jonathan has some sway with his father, that I can be restored to my place at the table. But the purposes of God are in that arrow. And, and David is going to be on the run for 10 years. David is going to be learning and running from Saul, fighting God's battles, running from Saul. And, and David can only wait. And sometimes, you know, you might be in that position where everything is out of your control. All you're doing is waiting. Like, what can I do here? You can control your response, but you can't control what's happened, what's being said, what's done, what's going on around you. All you can control is your response, how you're going to handle it, what you're going to say, what you're going to do. But the arrow that's flying, what didn't come from your hand. It, it comes from Jonathan's hands, and the purposes of God are in it. And it goes beyond David, and, and David's probably thinking, oh, the first one's beyond, let's see, maybe he, that was a bad shot. There's two more, and they're beyond and beyond. And then he tells the lad, hey, go get them. They're, aren't they beyond you? I should, they're past you. Keep going. Keep running, right? And he has to go get these arrows. And there's, there's a, a, a lesson for David, something that he's going to be learning. That there's going to be lots of things out of our control. How are we going to handle them? Are we going to resort to lying, deception? Are we going to trust God, trust him moving forward? It says, verse 41, As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times, and they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. This was really affecting David. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we both have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between our descendants and my, your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan goes back into the city, goes back with his father. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 for a second. This is what Jesus said as he's calling his disciples to follow him. He's encouraging them about his care over their life, but also the cost to follow Jesus Christ, because there's a cost. Verse 29 in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't fear, therefore, for you're more in value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. That's super important. Therefore, who, whoever denies me before men, will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Don't think, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. And he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And then listen, it says this, whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Our life is found in Jesus Christ, right? And everything, not everything's going to be easy when you walk with him. You come home thinking, that, man, mom, dad, I've got the greatest thing to tell you. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't want to hear that again. No, you can't go to church, right? And all of a sudden there's, there's man, I thought my parents would be great before I'm out drinking, smoking, doing this, doing that, partying. And they didn't care that much. And now I'm a Christian. Now I'm going to walk with the Lord. Now they don't want to talk to me. They're angry or whatever. Sometimes there's a division, but Jesus says, listen, you need, up, need to take up your cross and follow after me. If you try to find your life in this life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you're going to find it. Live your life for Jesus Christ. And that's what David is going to be learning here. He's going to be growing. He's in seminary. He's going to be learning. Listen, God, I'm going to go where you tell me. I'm going to learn to hear your voice. Sensitive to you. That's why David says, you know, who will eventually say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to follow him. I trust him. He's good. He knows how to lead me and feed me. So Lord, we thank you for this day for your word, for the truth of it, Lord, the, the encouragement that's in there, Lord, that, uh, that we can hold on to, God. We just want to give you our lives, Lord. We want to take up our cross every day, Lord, and pray that you lead us, Lord. Your design for our life is to just stay by the rock and get direction, get instruction. Our destiny is found there, Lord, and we want to hear from you, Lord, the direction we should go, the things we should do, Lord. We need to hear from heaven, God. And uh, we just want to give you our lives. We thank you for your love uh, and, and for forgiveness of sins, Jesus, in your name.